0: K-Y-W Radio Original Podcasts. Earlier this month, one of the main rating services, Fitch, downgraded the U.S. credit rating from a AAA to a AA+.
1: Even though AA+, is still very good, does this matter? So it's not that you're doing bad, you're doing pretty well, but you're not considered anymore in the top elite of safest countries in terms of borrowers. Dr. Marco Airauto is a professor of
0: economics at Drexel University's Lebeau College of Business. The drop might not be huge,
1: but it will affect us. So if, say, a U.S. Treasury goes from paying 3% to 5%, there's going to be quite a good likelihood that also mortgages and also credit card agencies, they're going to raise the rates as well. I'm Matt Leon, and today on
0: KYW News Radio In-Depth, we're talking about why the U.S. credit rating was dropped and what this means for the average person. With the Fitch's downgrading the the credit rating for the U.S., kind of give us a, a quick primer here. What exactly happened and what does this mean?
1: Okay, so first of all, let's say something about what is Fitch. So Fitch is a rating agency that essentially tests the public what is their assessment about the overall quality in terms of risk of bonds of different types. Okay, so of course... They're gonna rate corporate bonds, but they also rate treasuries, okay? So which are bonds issued by the U.S. Treasury to raise funds to finance public spending, so Medicare, uh, Social Security, defense, whatever is part of the fiscal budget. So essentially, what these agencies do, and Fitch is one of those. We also have Moody's, we have Standard Poor. They determine how good is a certain type of bond in terms of the risk of the borrower to repay the liability okay so the highest rate you can get is a triple a which means essentially that you are a risk-free kind of borrower so you will pretty much repay for sure whatever you borrowed and, uh, and then you can go down to double uh, a plus or double a and then you go into the b's into the c's into the d's and of course the lower you go the worse you are considered in terms of riskiness so we have of course countries that issue treasuries which are rated B's or C's which we call junk bonds okay so do not expect these countries to pay you back in full so what happened in August early August is that uh, Fitch downgraded the US Treasuries from a triple A to a double A plus which is to say that you go from say getting an a plus in a, in a in a course to to an A right so it's not that you're doing bad you're doing pretty well but you're not Considered more in the top elite of safest countries in terms of borrowers, so there are I think at this point there are only eleven countries rated higher than the U.S. So the U.S. is just slightly beyond the top eleven, and this top eleven includes some of the northern European countries, Australia, and some others. Okay, now one thing I would like to add is that um, Standard and Poor downgraded the U.S. Treasuries in 2011 from a AAA. To a AA plus. So Fitch kind of followed the same route. Okay. So just 12 years later. And Moody still has the US Treasury as AAA. So you can think of it maybe they want just to adjust to what is the standard. The next question is why they did it. Right. So that's the thing you'd see in your interest. I went through uh, the statement of Fitch, and there are, of course, different things they consider, different uh, background motivations. And I mean, of course, the most important factor they consider, and they think that there's been a uh, a deterioration in the repayment capacity, the fiscal capacity of the government. Of course, the most recent event is the fact that over the last few months, has been a long debate uh, at the Congress on raising the debt limit. Uh, so the U.S. is one of the very few countries with a debt limit you cannot borrow. If you reach a certain amount, certain value of outstanding liabilities, the U.S. reached that in January. They they had to take extreme measures. And then in June, there was no agreement. So what they decided to do is the bipartisan agreement is to postpone to June 2025. They issue the debt limit. So Fitch considered this event, you know, a sign of our lack of capacity to manage fiscal fiscal issues. Right. So the, the two parties are not agreeing. It took six months to reach kind of an agreement, but it's not really an agreement. So it looks like they're unable to deal with that. The second thing that Fitch considered uh, is that it looks like the US is navigating almost on a day-by-day basis, right? So there are certain items we need to spend on, but there are long-term issues that we need to face and we need to consider. Just think about Medicare. Medicare spending, social security spending will get much higher in the next 20 to 30 years because aging of the population. It is not a clear path or a clear plan on how to deal with that down the road. So Fitch consider that as a problem of fiscal management. The other factor, you know, how do we judge quality of, of a treasury? Right? So what do we look at when we need to rate a bond? So we look at the repayment capacity. How do we measure that? Now think of, I'll give you a simple example. You know, think of a US person with a credit card with some debt, and this debt is say. $80,000, right? Consolidated. If your annual income is around $80,000 or $100,000, well, that's 80 to 100% of your income. So it means that if for some reason they want to repay everything on the spot, you will need to essentially pass all your income to the lender. And that's clearly feasible. So in terms of treasuries, we look at the overall value of outstanding debt over the repayment capacity of a country, which is measured by its gross domestic product. How much income we create as a country in a given year? Now, to give you a sense, right? So the ratio of that GDP in the U.S. was roughly around 40% before 2007, 2008, before the crisis. And now we're about 120%. So we're three times as large. So this means that not even like taking the entire U.S. income in a given year, to repay all the lenders, that would not be enough, right? So that's a sign that we've been borrowing quite a bit. What is making debt bigger and bigger is deficits. So every year we spend much more in government spending, again, social security, Medicare, Medicaid, defense, and everything, compared to what we get as a government in terms of inflows, revenues, right? So we, the only source for governments to get revenues, to get inflows of money is taxes, tax revenues, and these are just not enough to cover all the expenses. We've been in a deficit for, for the last uh, what, like 20 years, pretty much. The only period we had some surplus was was during Clinton, so the late 90s. Since then, we've been in a deficit, so over more than 20 years now. And the deficit to GDP is, you know, between four, three, three, four percent, and is projected to go above seven percent. Over the next few years. So meaning that every year we we have a 7% gap that we need to fund. And how do we find the gap? We borrow. The government does that through uh, treasuries. Okay. So, so Fitch has been looking at all this data all together. And according to them, just to give you a sense, AAA means that there's no risk. AA plus means that there is some tiny probability of default, very tiny, right? But it's not zero that you might not be able to repay. Now, if you if you follow the news, you know, of course, the administration has immediately gotten back to it, said this is unreasonable, this is unwarranted. And Ms. Yellen, the, the head of the treasury said, this is based on all data and is based on data up to 2020 and is not accounting for all the changes we've made through the years. Uh, of course, the models that, you know, every agency runs, you know, takes into account maybe the last 10 years or so, and maybe we should look more last, you know, six months because that's maybe where we should, you know, base our projections on, you know, that there's been like some, some plans to cut things over the next few years. Uh, so that's debatable. To that point, going from AAA to AA+,
0: what are... Some things maybe from a a big-time level, like a macro level for the country and stuff like that, down to are there things the average American will notice that this
1: downgrade will lead to? When when your liability-to-income ratio goes up and you try to borrow from a credit card, Visa or MasterCard would tell you, well, your repayment capacity is getting worse. So if you want to borrow more, instead of charging you 3%, I'm going to charge you 5%. What a rating agency does, they they are a quality agency, right? So they tell the market that the U.S. Treasury is not as safe as before. So what is likely to happen is that when the Treasury goes out in the market trying to raise funds, and they do that through auctions, right? So see, the Treasury says, I need to borrow, say, $1 trillion. And who is willing to lend me the money at 3%? and they hope to go for the lowest rate possible, right? But if nobody comes willing to lend money to the U.S. Treasury 2%, they're going to say, what about 4%, what about 5%, right? And of course, the, the, if you raise the rate, more, some people are going to be willing to lend you money, right? Because I'm going to get more out of it. So, of course, with each saying, well, the U.S. is at AA+, plus, if you were considering buying U.S. Treasuries, being that they're not as safe as before, according to us, so if you decide to lend the government some money, you should ask for a bigger return, right? So this is likely to cause US treasuries to be sold to the market at higher rates, right? So which will imply that from the point of view of whoever is the lender, it's a good news, right? So you're essentially getting more out for your bucks. But, you know, there are two effects here. So one is that when rates go up in some assets, like a US treasury, they tend to spill over to everything else. So if a US treasury goes from paying 3% to 5%, there's gonna be quite a good likelihood that also mortgages and also credit card agencies, they're gonna raise the rates as well. It's a market where lenders compete for different sources. So all the rates probably, if if that happens, they're gonna probably move up. And we're already leading to a high interest rate world, so it's not a good sign, right? So we're already facing like 5% interest rates at the basis so that is not going to bring rates lower, right? It might actually bring rates higher. So that's the first consequence for the average person, how there. The second effect, which is more uh, for taxpayers, right? So what happens? The government is paying high rates on treasuries. It means that every year they will need to repay, previous lenders, high rates, right? So some bonds come to you every year and we need to pay them back on top of paying interest rates on whatever we borrowed before. So if we end up paying 5% instead of three, we as governments, we need to raise funds to pay those high interest payments. How do we do that? Well, we might need to raise taxes or we might have to cut expenses. So this means that, you know, or we default, right? Which is of course, something that we don't want the treasury to do, but, you know, rolling over debt is gonna become more costly because every year as a government, we need to pay more to pay back what is due And at some point deals, you know, the only option for the government might be to increase taxes or cut some spending. And what do you cut? Well, you cut whatever you think is not strictly necessary, right? So a big debate back in June uh, when the debt limit was reached was, should we, you know, give away the debt forgiveness for students, right? That's a discretionary item. You know, it was put there temporarily but if something has to go, that would be the first thing to go, right? So you cannot really cut social security. It's hard to cut social security. Medicare, it's hard to cut. You're going to cut lots of other things which have been helping out uh, taxpayers over the post-COVID years, but they were temporary, they were discretionary. So the big second round effect is that taxpayers might see the bill going up and some of the public services being cut.
0: Is it easier to get... Bumped down or to move up? Like, could you see scenarios here where in six months, Fitches looks at this again and, and bumps up? Or once you kind of move, you're kind of there for a good amount of time before there is significant sea change in what they see in your economic future?
1: Yeah, I think it's usually easier to get bumped down, to you know, go back up to the elite group. If you look at Standard Poor, they downgraded the U.S. back in 2011. There's been so many changes over the last 12 years. Think about the big, big uh, period and the very long period of U.S. economic growth between, uh, I would say again, and 2009 and you know, just pre-COVID, 10 years of sustained growth post-crisis. There's not been an upgrade in the rating by Standard & Poor's. Now, that's a, the, the first thing. The second thing is that, again, it's very hard to improve your fiscal budget and to improve your public debt position. Because once you get into this spiral where you essentially have to raise rates to convince people to lend you money, but by raising rates, you will need to borrow more in the future, which will probably raise rates again in the future. It's gonna be extremely hard. All right, so I think is is it's not gonna probably happen very soon that we're gonna get upgraded again. Now, is this downgrade as this is going to have very big consequences for the U.S., that's debatable as well, right? So if if you look at how the market responded, it's definitely not as big as the response of the market back in 2011. You know, think of it, right? Somebody says the U.S. treasuries are not as good as before, right? That's That's just a public announcement, if you believe it. So of course, you're going to probably like start selling treasuries or you want to put your money somewhere else. But it's up to the public to decide whether... Uh, these numbers are correct, or you should trust more the administration or Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, saying that you shouldn't worry, you know, we're in, in good stand. you know, and, and the US economy is doing pretty well. So Fitch is just, you know, putting up their own view of things, right? But, you know, there are different views out there, and and I'm not saying that Fitch has to be for sure the correct one.
0: We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Marco Irado right after this. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. And we are back on KW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Marco Irado. He is a professor of economics at Drexel University's Lebeau College of Business. You talked earlier off the top kind of what's behind this, and the first thing you kind of mentioned was, for lack of a better term, like this political nonsense that we go through with the debt limit and stuff like that. This seems like a terrible way to run an economy where you are purposely putting these roadblocks in front of you that could cause catastrophe every 18 months or every year or, or so it's like, we're tying our own shoes and then we're our own shoelaces together. And then we're surprised when we trip, like, why do, why are we doing this? Like, why would we present our economy like this to, to, to have these constant cell phones that lead to, to ramifications
1: like this? To me, the debt limit is a big nonsense. The US is the only big country with a limit like that. There's a few other very small ones with a debt limit, but they are so far away from it that it doesn't matter. You know, the debt limit is, first of all, it's a number you say, we cannot be above the number. You know, it was put back in the, you know, I think like 100 years ago to avoid the fiscal government to ask the Congress permission to spend more money whenever they need it. So we kind of put it, you know, very high debt limit and once we reach it, we're going to move it. But the implicit assumption was that we're going to be able to raise it without any problem. But this is not the case. Whether a country should be able to you know, borrow more or borrow less, it depends on the country payment capacity. It's obvious that the U.S. is growing and we need more spending and we're getting older and it will be more need to borrow over the years. So what's important to me is that how much we borrow compared to our product, Right? Not like a number, which is like put whatever number you like, thirty trillion dollars, we're gonna reach that. Put forty trillion dollars, we're gonna reach that. So it's an issue of what is the number compared to the size of the economy. To me, it's like a big nonsense. Why we have this debt limit? It's, it's gonna create, as you said, right? So we're gonna run for a while, and then we're gonna stumble. We're gonna have to sit and wait, and we're gonna over the last, you know, year we we we, we waited six months to reach a known agreement essentially. Uh, we put every everything up there on hold, you know, lots of uncertainty. So big no sense to me. And I think all economies are calling for removing that limit once mm-hmm. and for all.
0: It is interesting to me because I feel like as a layman for months, we have had economists and experts saying, oh, recession is coming. We predict recession in quarter three. We predict recession in quarter four. And yet constantly, for the most part, it seems like the economic numbers we get back month after month are really pretty good. You know, inflation has really settled. The job market is incredible. It just, it's confusing to me because it really does seem like things are pretty good economically, but there's just kind of this constant drumbeat of negativity or or pearl clutching on multiple fronts. Am I crazy?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of surprised as well because I I keep hearing and even Fitch right is in their statement to say we predict a recession in quarter four 2023 quarter one 2024. There's always a chance of recession, by the way, but I don't see the chances being that high, especially if I look at the way the market has rebounded over the last or, you know the last two years, right? So we had a peak in the market was it like in you know 2021 early 2022 and then we had a big Jump down and then we've been pretty much recovering. What we can say for sure is that we have much more uncertainty today than we used to have over the last, on average over the last 10 years. It's very hard for me to make any forecast. If you ask me to, make, to be a forecaster in 2012, we say I could do that. I mean, we're looking like more stable nowadays. We, we, we've been hit by so many different shocks that it's very hard to, you know, to see where things are going. I don't see really like an upcoming recession, given the numbers that I'm seeing out there. Uh, inflation is big, big concern. For what I see in the US, the Fed has been able to kind of tame inflation. We're not there yet and probably not be the 2% for a while. But the Fed has been, I think, has been doing a pretty good job in convincing the market that they have things under control. Things look okay, not as stable as we used to have. But if you think about the last 20, 15 years, we had... Three really super big negative shocks that we never had over the previous 30 years. I mean, not so close to each other. 2007, COVID, a big war in Eastern Europe with all the energy crisis. We never seen that in such a, you know, short period of time and we're still ending things pretty well. So um, to me, it's a sign of resilience and, and you know, solid, a solid economy still.